I'm not the house of cards that falls down easily Ooh, I'm strong enough to handle what you throw at me Welcome to Mental Health News Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Sunanta-Walker. Just what are we going to discuss? The intimacy that is mental health. Let's continue to make it as comfortable as discussing brain health or heart health. This show has been on the air for several years and we have amazing co-hosts. And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well-being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this. Intimate, deep, funny, touching, sometimes uncomfortable, but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people. The goal is to have you, our listening family, many of you who have become my good friends, feel as though you are listening in on private conversations. Thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me and now with our network of podcasters. Just knowing this podcast might be helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every second. Hey everyone, Kristen Snodda Walker here. You know, this is like one of my favorite shows of that we do of the month. It's the Be Awesome Show series with Dr. Christina Hallett. Christina, thank you so much for doing this because it's a it's a definitely a like I'm injecting myself with the most positive energy possible every time we get on the phone and do these. <laughs> That's fantastic. That's the point. So yay, be awesome. And I know our listeners feel that way too. And our guest today is like supremo bestie friend. You guys hit it off um, and sisters immediately. Amy O'Neill. Amy, I'm going to thank you, first of all, for agreeing to come on the show. My pleasure. (laughs) I'm going to read a little bit about you. And then we'll just kind of wing it like we always do. It's a it's a journey unto itself, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> All right. So Amy O'Neill is a speaker, survivor, resilience expert, which is what we're going to focus on today. Resilience therapist and motivator. She chose a mental health career that requires resilience to do well and stay healthy. Oh, boy, does it. (laughs) And she engages in hobbies that thrive on resilience, like the Ironman Triathlon and the Boston Marathon. Amy has also been thrust into situations wherein survival came from resilience. Thus, as a mental health professional and Boston Marathon attack survivor, Amy has acquired keen insight into how we can not only survive the challenges life throws at us, but also thrive in creating a life we love. So that's incredible. And here's what I hear from people who are in a depressed state. And I know you both hear this too. They read anything positive and they're feeling so down and so not positive that it's almost like it's too much sunshine and they turn away from it. Does that make does that make sense? Completely. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, and it just, it takes resilience to survive something like what you went through. Uh, It takes resilience to survive the childhood that I went through. It takes resilience to go through what Christina has gone through. It takes resilience to be in this profession. My son said to me the other day, 
over something that um, that happened uh, with someone who's not doing very well. Oh, this is why I don't I don't even want to hear about it, mom. This makes me so upset. I don't know how you do this. I don't know how you're in this field. And um, it's, it takes resilience to, to be here. And I'm not even a counselor. So anyway, Amy, tell us other things that we should know about you um, that our listeners should know. Sure. I, as the bio said, I've been a mental health professional for 25 years. I've been a lifelong uh, athlete and learner, lover of trying things that seem unimaginable. Uh, (laughs) One of the things that I've learned through my personal and professional experiences is that we are always capable of way more than we think we are. And that is one of the the skills are sort of intangible definitions of resilience that I think we forget about a lot. Yeah. So, we, yeah, we absolutely. do. We, we forget about it and we wear the coat of, of grief um, that can turn into depression or it's a temporary depression. And that coat is so heavy that you can't even, it's so heavy that you can't feel the resilience while you're wearing it. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. People tend to forget that they have skills. I'm, I'm calling it an inventory of skills. People don't realize that they have an inventory of skills because they don't identify them as, as behaviors or as Christina helped me define resilience as a verb. <laughs> how do we, exactly. how, how, how can we be resilient? I mean, we hear that word and we, it's resilience. You have to be resilient, but, but how do we, how can we do it? And I think that's one of the things I've been trying to hone in on is what does that look like? And can I give you guys a great example that happened to me? Absolutely. So I had a young lady that I was working with and she's a high school student and she, her and her best friend were no longer friends. Familiar story, right? So she was going to school, the school year was starting and she was having some school refusal and not able to walk into the building because she was really scared about what would happen if she ran into this old friend. And one of the things that we discussed was, you are a field hockey goalie, right? The goalie, (laughs) the goalie, the last line of defense Mm -hmm. for your entire team to count on. You chose to be a goalie. You have that grit, that competitive fire. You want to be the last one that that girl's trying to score on. And I said, what do you do when you're a goalie and somebody's coming at you, (laughs) right? And she started to think about, you know, well, what do I do? How do I prepare myself? I'm like, this is resilience. You Mm. have this skill. How can you put it into place when it comes to running into this friend? And it's just a small example of this inability to sort of recognize the resilience that we all have accumulated. It's already there. Yeah, because someone who can, and I used to joke about this all the time, I always protected the goalie, which so fits my personality, but (laughs) I never wanted to be the goalie because I was like, what kind of person would ever run towards a flying object at any part of their body, especially their head. (laughs) (laughs) 
but I'll protect that person. Oh, you bet. But, uh, you know, yeah, it takes a different, my, my ex-husband whom I love dearly, um, was that guy, like just, he will freaking jump into a mine shaft and I, I just would look at him like, okay. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it, it takes a different thing. But anyway, the point of this is, and I love what you, what you just said is, and I've learned so much about this in the last few weeks. It's already there for a lot of us. It, there's, there are some people, I want both of your opinion on this. There are some people out there who really don't love themselves. Like they, they really don't. For whatever reason, they have to learn how to do that. And that's okay. That That's a journey, right? And then I think there are others of us who always have loved ourselves, but we just didn't we didn't know it. We didn't, um, the story, the family story, the whatever, but our behavior towards our survival and our resiliency has shown us like what you just talked about with this person has shown us over and over again, that we actually do love ourselves because who would, who would get up again after the things that, you know, some of us have been through if we didn't care about ourselves but we don't think that we do for some reason. Is that making any sense? Absolutely. You know, that's a really interesting concept because I'm, I don't know, Kristen, I want to think about that. Love ourselves or have an innate drive to keep surviving. And I think maybe there's a difference between those because I do think that we all have this innate drive to survive, Mm -hmm. but I'm not sure that we certainly, we don't consciously equate that with loving ourselves, but I'm not sure that even when we are practicing some of these resilient skills without knowing it, that we're Mm -hmm. also at a sense of recognizing Uh, or really knowing what it means to love ourselves. Because I think we often get so caught up in our negative self-talk and we, you and I have discussed this, right? And I think that the core beliefs that people struggle with are the sense of being not good enough and the comparison, which I guess doesn't mean that they don't love themselves. So I'm sort of thinking out loud through this. Yeah, um, that's fine. That's why we do this. Cause I've been, th- I'm not a hundred percent on this either, but it's been coming up a lot and it's been coming up with other shows that I've been on and other people, you know, listeners bringing up this question. So that's why I, you know, I bring it up because people are are exploring this particular thing. And I wanted to get, you know, your two brains and experiences on it. So when I think about uh, loving myself, to my mind, that means acting in a way that's good for me, being caring, compassionate. So literally, treating myself the way I would treat somebody else that I love. So on the surface, I think I would say um, that I'm not sure that fits. I do think we Mm -hmm. look to survive, and I think that's part of our human drive system. And that we have to learn. Yes. And I think that we have to learn maybe what it means to love ourselves as compared to loving somebody else and to be willing to take that risk. What do you think, Amy? Yeah, I, to, to expand on what you're saying, Christina, I like that thread of conversation where we talk with people about what do you think it means to love yourself and to allow 
them to come to this understanding or definition to redefine what that means to them. Because if you do grow up in a horrible environment and it and you don't feel loved, maybe you don't realize that you have the power within you to redefine what that would look like, mm-hmm. right? So one of the things that I think people are hopefully that we're all always evolving through is when something happens to us and it injures us in a way that makes us not really clear about who we are, what our purpose is, if we're loved or not, if we're even lovable, that there's this uh, empowerment and this continuous process of, of you get, you actually get to decide how you feel. (laughs) So going back to, going back to Christina's, um, the core belief structure the good and bad news about core beliefs, the, the bad news is negative core beliefs impact you negatively in your thinking and how you feel. The good news is core beliefs can be reconstructed and you're the yeah. one that's allowed to do it. You right. can even that's reconstruct the, the narrative of yes. your past. Yeah. Right. Which that's is the whole excitement. Yes. That's neuroplasticity. And that's really taking in that idea of you're the person who's responsible for your thoughts, feelings, and actions. Right. And coming to that, realizing that that not only, as I've said before, is it your ability, but it's your right and your responsibility to take ownership of your thoughts, feelings, and actions. And that begins to really shift so that you can create a very different narrative that Mm. then allows you to access exactly the skills that Amy's talking about in terms of resilience. And Amy, I know that you've got, uh, is it the four R's or the three R's? Yeah, I've been talking about about that. Sure, the the four R's seem to sort of just come through um, talking out my talk actually with Christina, so thank you. (laughs) And, you know, with her experience, she was, able to help guide me into understanding how to um, conceptualize these concepts so they're memorable and easy to, to transfer to people. So the four R's, redefine your resilience. So part of that is redefine how you, how you think about it. Is it just being strong or is it being willing to grow, right? How, how do we define it? Right. Reconstruct Reconstruct your beliefs and then rebuild yourself after going through something that's traumatic or life-changing, and then re-emerge a newer version of yourself. So redefine, reconstruct, rebuild, and re-emerge. So the goal is figure out who you are and figure out, <laughs> you know, we're gonna rebuild us and, and we're gonna come back out, we're gonna rise, we're gonna come through this and we're gonna be a better version of ourselves, and we're gonna utilize that struggle or stress or life-changing situation that you went through to reemerge a better version. Can I throw something in there? Because what I think that you've said that's so powerful as we've talked about this is that we so frequently we talk about resilience as bouncing back. Right. And we use that image of like the blow up doll and you punch it and it bounces back, punches back like that's all great. But this is a different way to look at resilience. This is not saying you just bounce back, but instead it's saying that you're changed and that you're literally reconstructing, rebuilding and coming out through the other side. So it's not in one place 
bounce away and bounce back, but that you're literally walking through a process that has you being a different person on yeah. the other side. And a different person, I mean, going through to get to the other side too. It's like you, you're, you have to shake up your habits. You have to shake up what you do every day. You have to shake up how you think, the thoughts you think with, the words you use to think about yourself and talk to yourself. You have to, you know, there's all kinds of things that you have to do for that neuroplasticity part for this to sink in and get you to the other side. Yeah, both of you, such vital nuggets of information about <laughs> this getting to the other side, because one of the things that I think happens is that we forget that we have the ability to choose to be fully engaged in the process. Part of what I know, I the message I try to share when I talk with people about this is that Choosing to be fully engaged in the process means that I'm aware that I'm going through something that's transformative. And when I'm having conversations with people, friends, family, professionals, mentors, whatever, I'm willing to understand what I'm learning about myself. Yeah. And I'm willing to borrow hope and borrow experiences and trust other people's guidance and opinions to help me on the rebuilding process so that I can reemerge going through this. And the facets of language, like you're talking about, Kristen, and the way that you think and the way that you move through the world become really important parts of this reemergence. And I, I think the biggest problem lies in when you're not talking with somebody who can sort of be your guide through this process when when you don't know what you don't know. Yes, and we're so conditioned to automatically think, um, you know, don't talk about your problems because you don't want to be a burden on other people. Now, I know as a counselor, yes, of course, that's your job. People come in and they tell you their problems, but I mean you as a counselor in your own life. Um, we, we have this, I've noticed anyway, amongst my friends, which I think almost all of my friends are counselors. <laughs> so, what good taste do you have? And they, yes, exactly. And so I get their emails and their calls of what they're going through. And I have this one that, oh my gosh, I just, wow, we have, ugh. Anyway, she's amazing. And we've shared so many things. And um, she will call me and I'll go and I'll let's pretend her name is Sue. I'll say, Sue, you're like in this, you're in, you're wearing your counselor face right now. Like I can't, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking <laughs> to you, the counselor. So I can't, I can't like reach you right now as your friend and your sister, because like you're, I, you're, you know, you're, you're still in that mode. And I, when I first said that to her, it was about a year ago and, um, and she, she didn't get mad, but she, she didn't know really what I was talking about. And then she called me one day and said, Oh my God, I know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about. Thank you for saying something because nobody would say anything. I don't even think they knew to say that. And that just totally liberated me. I mean, it completely liberated me with my friends, with my family, with you. 
And, um, you know, it's, it's kind of an amazing thing. And it's not just counselors that do this. It's, we all do that. Like I was eating dinner with my neighbors last night and I could tell that they're both so stressed out. And like a lot of people are right now, especially. And I've said, you know, it's completely okay to say, I am so stressed. Like I'm really concerned about myself right now. And I'm, I don't know, I'm having a really hard time. Like it's so okay to say that, but people outside of the mental health field don't really go there that much, if at all, you know what I mean? Well, and I want to tie the what you just said and what Amy said together, because the, that's the key in terms of, you know, my favorite radical self-care, but this idea of connection to others. Mm-hmm. So self-compassion, compassion for others and connection. And therefore, if you've got all of that, if you're going to actually engage in radical self-care, then you're going to be compassionate to yourself and you're going to be willing to be vulnerable. And right. Isn't that what it comes down to? That yes. I'm going to yes. say to you, I'm yes. really stressed. I'm really struggling. That is a flat out statement of vulnerability. It it, is. Which is, <laughs> right. And we're saying, hey, that's great. Be vulnerable. But, yeah. And I want to throw another thought in here because I want to add this different piece. I'm working on an article right now that's going to be uh, published soon. But the article that I'm writing about is about sort of the double standard that we have between men and women and vulnerability. And sort mm-hmm. of one of the core things is this idea of, uh, and Brené Brown's talked about in her research, right? The idea that we look to get men to be vulnerable and share their feelings and mm-hmm you know, tell us where they're really at. And then the minute that they do, we have this, you know, instinctive, like, why aren't you the white knight? You know, yeah. why are you having such a hard time? Like, dude, suck I've it done up, that. Right? I've done that. I've done, <laughs> I've done that horrible, that very thing to my wonderful, loving ex-husband. Like, will you stop crying all the time and let me cry? <laughs> I'm like, oh my God. And you know, at the time I was young, so I didn't have any clue like what I was doing to him. But you know, we thank God 32 years later, I can say, man, I am, I really am sorry that I, I did all those things that we, you know, that we're not supposed to do as women. And yet we tell you to do, you do as men and I'm sorry. (laughs) Right. And so I'm thinking about this because I really identify as a feminist and that means equality. Right. And so, right. Looking it at. It does not mean misandry. It means equality. Right. Thank you. Yes, <laughs> exactly. And so literally as I'm thinking about that, I'm like, oh yeah, like we need to talk about this because to then bring it directly back to vulnerability and resilience that when we talk about resilience, often we are not purposely, but I think seeming to speak towards women and not necessarily recognizing the additional burden for men in terms of vulnerability and resilience. Because yeah. as hard as it is to say, oh, I'm really stressed and I'm having a hard time, as a woman, I think that we have a lot of societal means that make it even harder to say that as a man. Dina, she nailed it a hundred percent. And it's actually one of the sidebar conversations we had when I was writing my talk, because coming from the perspective of a woman who sees herself as very, very strong, I take on marathon running, Ironman triathlons, I can do it all. I don't need any help. I'm strong. I got this. I'm bouncing back. 
it was part of what I had to learn. And for me, somebody who's a can-do person, very strong, need no help. I got it. <laughs> that message of, of learning, that vulnerability is the thing that was going to save me. Being mm. willing to connect. Christine is talking about connection. The connection is what took me personally out of the shadow and into the light. So I inadvertently connected with other survivors from the marathon bombing. And after I spent some time talking with these people, I thought, oh my gosh, I feel like that. I'm thinking that. I've been through that. That happens to me. I didn't know that other people were thinking or feeling this way. I really believed the answer was, I'm going back to work in two weeks <laughs> and I am yeah. fine and I'm making dinner. I'm making lunch yep. and I'm the best mom wife in the world. Not even realizing that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like not even realizing yeah. that it was, it was not only holding me back, it was, it was causing me trouble. So mm -hmm. that connection piece to other survivors. And I think the realization that being superhuman isn't always the answer. Sometimes well, there's no such thing. Right? Yeah, I it's not, not we're not. I mean, we aren't. I I but, yeah, we But we much aren't. like much like your comment on men, you're right. Be superhuman. Have a great career. Mm -hmm. Don't have feelings. Don't be sad. Provide for everybody. Carry the weight of the world. <laughs> and then come right, home yeah. and want and you know, come home and want to talk to me too. <laughs> ask me how I'm doing. Yeah, exactly. We ask people to house an incredible amount of stress that's just not realistic. Yes, absolutely. And then we get resentful too when they when they can't because it's impossible, which is which is always fascinating too. Um, because then they just are in a no win. They're in the Kobayashi Maru that only Captain Kirk can get out of. So it's <laughs> so not fair. And you know, it's funny because I, of course, and listeners, I'm sorry, I'm saying this. I know you've heard it before, but these two haven't heard it. Um, <laughs> um it was really important for me, considering what I experienced with men very young to not make my son pay for being a male, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I did a lot of work. Don't know, I did the best I could in that department. Um, certainly epic face plants many times. <laughs> That's and I you. tried, I tried to bring on some men to talk about this that were experts in, you know, men and, and some, and they got progressively better on this topic. But what I found interesting in the beginning, and it was, you know, cause I was navigating this topic too with men, um, was that the first few that I had on really had um, that haterade for women, like they had been really abused by their mothers and they just took swipes at me constantly on the air um, and in outside of the show to really be, you know, covertly and sometimes overtly psychologically abusive. And it didn't have anything to do with me. It had to do with their stuff around women, but they were supporting men. And and I and I'm not, you know, upset at them about this. I was, believe me. But what I learned from that was <laughs> believe me. I really was not happy about that or them. And they, you know, whatever it whatever happened, happened. But now I look at it and I'm like, okay, it's the proof that. You can't, um, you can't really help facilitate healing for yourself or for someone else 
if you are not, if you haven't um, resolved at least some of those wounds, those that hate, that anger, that whatever at your opposite sex parent, right? So the men now that are in my life, they have done that work and it's peaceful and it's wonderful and they don't take stuff out on me like that. But it was an interesting journey to go through that and watch that and be like, whoa, wow, okay. (laughs) You know, they were right in what they were saying, which was the same thing you guys just said, but their behavior towards me as a woman didn't lend itself in any way to us for us to come to a healing place around what we were talking about. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. Well, and yeah. one of the things I think we need to do right now is be happy, you know, you reference sort of everything that's going on, Kristen. I think that we have to be willing to have vulnerable, difficult conversations about yeah. everything with everyone. And we have to do that in a manner that's respectful and with dignity because we don't all agree on things. We don't have to agree on things. And sometimes we see the world extraordinarily differently, but that when we bring respect and dignity and that we're willing to engage, that's when we can begin to see not only where our commonality is, but to, to begin to trust and hold relationships with people who are in even very different places than we're comfortable with. Yes. Yeah, I Christina, I mean both of you it's I I don't know how that is supposed to happen except for people just start doing it. I mean maybe yes. if we all do it and tell a friend and they tell a friend next thing you know we'll all be doing it, we'll start our own movement. But yes. um it is, yeah, exactly. Change the world one radio show at a time. I'm right? telling you, that's mm-hmm. what this whole network is about. It's, like, I'm serious. That's yeah, what it's incredible how far our people of our great nation have gotten from the ability to have compassion, compassionate, respectful conversations with each other. I know, I know, no one likes commercials, but seriously, folks, without the help from these organizations, we could not stay on the air. Please give a shout out to zencharts.com. If you're a mental health or addiction treatment center, you'll want to use their EHR. It's gorgeous. And they're just good people. And also mygenetics, M-Y-G-E-N-E-T-X.com, because knowing your genetic code empowers your mental health treatment. And lastly, copenotes.com. We love getting positive messages right to our phones every day from Johnny Crowder. He's the lead singer of Prison, a heavy metal band sharing their music about suicide prevention, addiction recovery, and mental health. See, that was painless. Support them as they support us. Back to the show. It's There's so much defensiveness and pain and conflict and troubling there it is a troubling time in our in our country and this messaging of just because you feel differently from me doesn't mean that I'm right and you're wrong or you're right and I'm wrong it just means that we feel differently and being able to start in you know some of the resilience verb behaviors that I keep thinking about are things like choice choosing to engage in the process, being willing to be flexible, adapting to what's going on around you, learning from each other, 
borrowing hope. When you have no hope, borrow it from somebody else. And, and then that when it's you okay. grow it, yes. it's okay to not have hope sometimes, you know? Like it's yeah. really okay to not have hope sometimes because that is part of being a human being. It just I'm is. Sure, yeah. I'm sure there's a team of psychologists somewhere in the world <laughs> doing <laughs> lots of research on, you know, our inability to tolerate opinions. <laughs> so, and I'm sure I'm going to bet the farm that social media is somehow a major impact in that. I can delete, I can block you and I can X you out and I can remove you from everything and I can Twitter you till you go away. But it's, it's incredible. And um, the art of conversation and the art of listening which is something that everybody in the mental health field hopefully has mastered is uh, is a behavior that, you know, absolutely needs to be passed around in our it does, communities. It, it does. And then there's also this side of it too, because man, I have been known to stick it out well past a needed <laughs> expiration date with people, you know? <laughs> and so there's also a place of, you know what? Um, this is th this I'm so important to myself now and mm -hmm. my mental well-being is so important to myself now um, that I just don't I I'm cutting the, this relationship off now because I realize it's not it hasn't been and it's progressively getting more unhealthy and it's not getting better no matter what I've tried to do to pass the peace pipe all the things that I've learned from, you know, having a zillion counselors around all the time and, and then saying, okay. Um, but it takes so much careful thought because I don't want to just slam a door because someone's having a hard time. That's not what it's about. But when someone's becoming abusive, like, okay, I gotta, I gotta, put me first here now um, because I tend to not have that's been my pattern to not do that I didn't even know how to do that and that's healthy so that's a whole interesting dynamic too you know well and that's part of the whole idea remember uh, behind radical self-care it's understanding yeah. that you again not just have the right but have the responsibility to as Amy's saying make the choice about yeah. what are the relationships you're in and how do you choose to interact with those or not it, you know we i think we act like we're going to be struck dead by lightning if we say oh i can't do this anymore it's like no actually you know you get to say that it doesn't even have to go all the way to abuse you can just say you know for right now or forever this isn't working for me and that's right. totally cool we get right. to say that and we forget because we think oh no that will be mean that will be bad it's yes wrong. I should. I'm like, some no. some relationships expire, right? Yeah, they do. Marriages yeah. have a shelf life sometimes. Relationships have a shelf life. Sometimes friendships come in and out of your life yes. for a reason and a season. And that's okay, too. I mean, being right. able to set those boundaries to protect yourself is a part of radical self-care, just like Christine is saying. I have a really funny story from when I was I think I was 22 or 23, very oh. new working in the, very young working in the helping field. And I was working at a group home for violent female offenders. And um, it was, you know, 
interesting to say the least, but one of the moms called to talk to her daughter and I had answered the phone call and it wasn't phone call time, et cetera. So I was saying to her politely as I could as a staff member, I'm sorry, it's not the time to call right now. You have to call back between the hours, blah, blah, blah. And she was so angry and irate and was literally verbally abusing me into next week on the phone. (laughs) And I stayed on the phone with her trying to, I I know you're upset. I hear you. Yes, it's frustrating. And she was, I mean, I think she she took me down with words. And and my supervisor walked by and Mm -hmm. said, why are, actually, he walked by and hung up the phone. And I said, what are you doing? He's like, she is abusing you. (laughs) He could hear her through the phone. And I thought, oh, you can hang up on like a client's mom. And he's like, you can't let people abuse you in our home. They abuse each other in their home. And if we let them do it in our home, we're allowing their behaviors to continue. Oh, so, I love people like that I, that are so I'm, sure. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Like they just he walked are sure. by. He literally hung up the phone, and I was. But what a great moment! I mean, it's, yeah. it's been a long time since I was 23, <laughs> and I still remember this lesson about setting that boundary. And you don't get to talk to me like that at in my house. You can right. talk to each other like that in your house, but not in my house. So. It was a really powerful lesson about setting that boundary and not allowing somebody to infringe on my rights, regardless of the relationship. Yeah, I want to. Oh, go ahead, Kristen. No, no, no. You go, girl. Go, go, go. All right. Uh, Well, I want to actually I keep thinking about what you said. So I'm switching this out a little bit because I keep thinking about what you said at the beginning of our conversation today about how sometimes people feel like ugh, that's too much sunshine, like I can't tolerate it. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I want to share a particular technique that I think can be helpful around that that's related to resilience and then give Amy a chance to talk about some of the other specific things that people can do. Right. Because I know we are always trying to give sort of tips and ideas. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And one thing, and I can't stop thinking about it because it's this idea of, we talk about using sensory components and music is a great sensory component. But the issue with music is that we match our music to our mood. So Mm -hmm. whatever mood we're in, really depressed, I'm really angry, whatever it is, that's the music we pick. And yeah, that's all well and good, except we continue in that place and then our mood intensifies because we're literally reinforcing those neural pathways and keeping that going. So if we're really angry, we tend to listen to angry music and it's too much. Like we can't listen to lullabies or happy music. We just want to like turn it off or punch the radio or something. But it's the same thing if we're really depressed and struggling and we're like, "Ah, everything sucks. There's nothing to be resilient about. And we tend to go to music and then that keeps us in that place. And so one technique that I've found that's really helpful is for people to create a playlist that takes them step by step from the mood that they're in and brings them basically to neutral. It's going to be too far away to get into, like, if you're depressed, you're not going to get into like, woo, you know, unicorns and rainbows. Like, yeah, I'm so happy. No, that's not going to happen. But if we can get to neutral, we're turning down the volume on those emotions, right? Mm -hmm. We're decreasing our emotional reactivity. And so that's one of the ways that we can get there. Like we can get, I think, to using some of the tools for resilience and resiliencing, using it as the verb, when we use something like 
a playlist that we've constructed that we use to match and then move us up to neutral. And Amy, I'd love to know your thoughts and some of the other particular kinds of actions that you think people can take. It's so interesting. And this is why we're spirit sisters from day one. <laughs> I, I say that phrase all the time. We just got to get to neutral. And I do this visual where I hold my hands in the air like a scale out of balance. And I yes. literally talk through with the person in the moment how we can get the scale to neutral just by saying things that are true. So much like, and I, brilliant, I love the idea of the playlist that sort of gets you there song by song, step by step. I think that's brilliant. Um, I've always done it with talking. So if my scale is way out of bounds, I hate myself and I'm disgusting. What is something about you that somebody else loves? What What is a, comp, you know, is there a picture that you ever loved yourself in? Is there a, a moment that you can remember yourself being happy? Is there, is there a feature that, you know, other people compliment you on just as a way to start borrowing hope and ideas just to move the scale to neutral, right? Exactly. If I think yes. I'm ugly, you're not going to convince me I'm beautiful, but a lot of people tell me that I'm really lucky to be tall. So, okay, that's something, right? And it starts yep. to move that scale to neutral. And when I, when you, and I think that subtle change that happens inside you when you start to move away from the awfulizing makes room to feel something just a little bit different. Oh, that needs and to when, be a meme, awfulizing. I'm sorry, that's awesome. I love that yeah. word. And when yeah. you start to consider that there's another way to look at something or yourself, it does start to change these pathways that Christine is talking about. And it does start to create this opportunity to feel something a little bit different. Can I add um, something to that when you're, sure. when you're done? Okay, so for me, what, what has been really, and I just said for me, that's so my Southern California accent coming in, I'm going to start saying awesome and totally <laughs> and for sure. But anyway, I digress. Um, for, for me, uh, let's sound like a professional. I, I find it so helpful to reach out, which a lot of people don't do. And of course, you know, I have this wealth of resources where I get to talk to amazing people on this show and be vulnerable a lot. And so let me tell you, when you, when you start doing that and it becomes a regular part of your life, you being vulnerable, you, it's addicting in a such a great way. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But I yes. find my I find myself um, having this wonderful array of people that I don't uh, dump on them because I am profoundly responsible for my you know what's going on with me. So I don't call them and dump on them. And I always ask, are you in a place where you can hear me out on something, or do they catch you at a bad time? So there's the responsibility there. Nobody likes to just be dumped on, um, and I have done that in the past. For sure, for sure. But I, um, <laughs> I love to sit like the playlist. You know what? I need a splice of Evelyn Ryan today. I need a, I need some Melanie today. I need, a, and it helps me get to that neutral place about myself. 
I don't do this all the time, but it, 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 it's like my playlist of these are people that I can call who remind me who I am and get me out of this. What the hell is I'm talking about in my head that is just not healthy. <laughs> Fantastic strategy. Can I, can I share another strategy? Yeah. yeah. I love. Um, I was thinking about this today. Uh, one of the things I did the very first time I took on the Ironman is I felt like that goal was unachievable, right? I, in my head, I couldn't understand how I could get there because I had never done it before. Hmm. And I was, I was thinking about this in terms of how do we help others get inspired to utilize resilience in this verb form. So one of the things that I did is almost every day I would watch videos on YouTube. Everybody that's ever done the Iron Man makes their own home movie and puts it on YouTube <laughs> about their experience. <laughs> so I think I watched thousands of people from all over the world make their little video and watch their moments of joy and achievement and accomplishment and listen to their experiences and I would look at them and say, it's possible, it's possible. He did it, she did it, that guy did it. And you know, this man did it pulling a, somebody in a, you know, a disabled person in a chair and it was incredible. So I would watch other people's experiences and use that to motivate me. And the more I watched it and the more I saw that it was, it was possible, it's possible, people do it, I thought I can do it. I can do this. So the repetition of the messaging that we're mm -hmm. capable, it's possible, I think definitely impacts our belief system into being able to take on something that we at once think is unimaginable. I think that behavior is transferable to crawling out of depression, to yeah. yes. facing your anxiety, to having to confront going through divorce, right? We start to find images, songs, motivations, things that that show us it's possible. You can do it. Stay the course. Follow the journey. It's a process. Stay committed. And the end result will be there. I love to when people show I was thinking about, you know, your Iron Man, the Iron Man videos. I love watching them when the person also I don't watch those videos, but I watch videos, you know, that are appealing to what I do in that way. And I love it when someone is like, yeah, they're so positive and they also stop and throw up or they stop and go, I just don't have it today. Like I feel so awful. And they like, to, and they for real it's not just everything's positive because then I'm like oh good they had anxiety about this too they had moments they still did it but they had their moments of I don't think I can do this you know what I'm saying I find that so helpful to me to get through something which is I think that's vulnerability too I, I guess is what I'm saying mm -hmm. It is. And that's recognizing our common humanity. That's one of the three, you know, we're going to be talking with Dr. Kristen Neff about this, but that's one of the three yeah. main pieces that's behind compassion, self-compassion, right? Kindness, common humanity, and uh, mindfulness or courageous presence. But that that idea of I'm not alone, 
And in fact, once you begin to recognize that this is part of the human experience. So no matter what it is, like people can have different actual situations, but the human experience is the human experience. So male, female, it doesn't matter. We have that. And we often, I think, feel so isolated and so alone and think, oh, you know, how come or everyone else seems to do it so easily right, right? that's the i think the social biggest problem with social media right comparison yeah, right. Like, oh their life oh. is awesome and it's like no their life is it may be awesome but that you're just seeing what you see right. the reality is that there is no one who doesn't stumble we all stumble right. and that's how we learn and grow Right. right. I but I, I think so much from my face plants, let me tell you. <laughs> I love that face plant. <laughs> but Christina, I think you made this point earlier at, um, in terms of resilience being about connection. And um, that's what you get from connecting with other people that are, you know, committed to a journey is you get the opportunity to hear that it's not a perfect process, but it is a process. And if you can trust it and work on it and utilize other people's stumbles and face plants, <laughs> I always say, you know, you, you hit a pothole. Um, same, you use that to, to help you keep moving forward when you feel like you can't. Yeah. And it's connection, vulnerability. Uh, we're, we're, we could have this conversation for days and weeks and we're gonna yeah. come back to these connections, yep. vulnerability, yes, yeah. <laughs> belief system. Yep. Um, and, and there are people who are in your life for whatever reason. You can go to spiritual, religious, science, whatever, whichever way anyone's comfortable taking it. But there literally are people um, in your life that you appreciate, I think, as you age, who have loved you through your ugly you know, yeah. I mean, like really when you were not, when, you know, when you were really not behave, you were whatever the reason was, you were younger, you were less aware, whatever, and they love you. And they just are like, you see them and, oh my gosh, you're so happy for their life. They're so happy for yours. You know, it's, it has its moments, but you're just like, wow, this person has like been here for a long time and they really saw me uh, in you know less evolved versions than now and they and they stuck it out with me because not everybody is supposed to stick it out like as we already said and that's okay that's part of life it doesn't make you a bad person to have people want to exit being in a relationship with you just as you, it isn't for you to want to exit but there is something really cool about you know the longer you live and and having those long term ones that are around that you're like Ugh. Thank you. Thank you for loving me through those times, especially when I really didn't um, love myself very much at all. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And there are always shadow sides, literally. Yeah. Like we, that's, we all have a shadow side. And so loving someone for who they are is not, hey, I love you for this. And, you know, I tolerate that. Right. It's you're a whole person. And yeah. that means you grew up and you're, you know, icky at times. And I'm trying to keep this clean. Um, <laughs> good <laughs> So I just saw this uh, and I want to share this. It was a, a post by someone that said, I see you. 
I see your strength and courage, your hesitations and fears. I see the way you love others and your struggle to love yourself. Mm -hmm. I see how hard you work to grow and your dedication to heal. I see your vulnerable humanity and your transcendent divinity. I see you and I love what I see. Wow. Yeah. Love that. But that that actually goes to another strategy, Christina, when you were talking about, you know, tools and walkaway strategies. I follow all these spiritual motivational <laughs> sites on Instagram. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't watch people's super, you know, perfect lives that aren't perfect. I follow and read these kinds of messages and meditations and mantras daily, several times a day, just as a way to ground and sort of get away from the could have, should have, would have, why don't yous to, it's a process, it's a journey, nobody's perfect. Again, this messaging, the repetition of the messaging mm-hmm. oh, that we're not expected to be perfect. It's so right. important. Uh, can I share a little story real quick? Yeah. Okay, so I was working in this office and I was sharing space with these people and it was the most toxic um, environment I had been in since childhood. So in many ways, of course, it was a recreation for me to work out those issues. We know that from psychology, but at the time it was horrible. And the really the biggest one of the biggest factors to my not I was I was I felt like my soul was um, trying to be taken over by somebody else. And I watched this person do it to other people where they just like gave themselves over to this person. And, uh, and I was like, I kid, I won't, that won't happen. And one of the things that helped me get through that and then get out of there and out of that toxic environment was <laughs> this was before Pinterest. Okay. So, and <laughs> These things aren't like, you know, Pinterest is not very old, right? I mean, the social internet day, an internet year is 90 days. It's probably 30 days now. But so Pinterest wasn't available. But I would go and I would find the quotes that you're talking about, Amy, and I would print them out. I mean, I'm sure they all thought that I was crazy, but I was doing my (laughs) version of Pinterest with paper and my printer and pasting them with or with tape all over the walls of my office. And it was, I realized later that it was a way for me to not um, lose myself to this person, to this place. It was, I needed to read that stuff every single day, all day, find new stuff, whatever. And then Pinterest came out and I did it there. But that was so, I'm glad you brought that up, Amy, because that was so profoundly important for me to, um, to stay me. Absolutely. Yeah. The end. So we we know what's the basics of rewiring. It's so simple. Whatever you repeat, you strengthen. Yeah. That's it. Whatever you repeat, you strengthen. So by having all of those inspirational things and looking at them, you were strengthening your ability to think that way, to have that be a go-to, to keep you inspired, to have a way to say, okay, I'm okay and I will be okay. Yeah. Yep, exactly. And, you know, they, they weren't mushy, everything's wonderful stuff. There were, some of it was, you know, pretty, really deep 
stuff too. And you need to mix it up. You need to have the one-liners, you know. Um, mm -hmm. I saw this in the Freddie Mercury movie that's out now. Fortune favors the bold. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, my God, you don't need to add anything to that. You know, you just, you <laughs> yeah. just don't, that's like, that's amazing. And, and then there are longer pieces that you like, um, Dr. George Simon's wife, Sherry was on, um, with us for a, a show and he wrote, um, in sheep's clothing and is, you know, world renowned expert on character disorders. And, um, we had such an amazing show and she sent me a poem of hers and I read it over and over and over again. And I was like, Oh, this, this is the stuff right here. This, this act of reading this again and again and again is, is um, a conscious act on our parts to rewire our brains. Absolutely. And I want to underline one more time what Amy said earlier about borrowing hope. Mm. because that is so, so like we need hope and we can look to find hope wherever we can wherever we can find that inspiration and sometimes for me I really look to nature or pictures of nature to find hope because if I can experience awe and amazement and gratitude for the beauty of nature that can open me up to hope but sometimes we just can't come up with it and so looking and connecting to someone else who says, mm -hmm. I'm connected to you, I'm with you, I see this, I hear this, and I'm holding hope in my hand and in my heart. It's here for you, even though you can't see it right now. Yeah, that's, oh my God, that's so important. And to cultivate a life where you have a lot of those people around um, is really uh, a lovely thing to do for yourself. Yeah. Yes, that's radical self-care. <laughs> yeah. And just being just being willing to try to hear something through somebody else's eyes and perspective helps you borrow, right? Like you were talking, Kristen, about the people that loved you through your awful. <laughs> yeah. They were willing to they were willing to see this other part of you that you just were having trouble finding at the moment. <laughs> so. <laughs> You know, having those kinds of people around your go-to, your little arsenal of um, friends or family. And if you don't have a friend or family, professionals, a hotline, a coach, yeah. a therapist, a psychologist, a professor, a mentor, a religious person, somebody just being willing to find that one person to connect with, to start to have that, to, to start that conversation. Yeah. It only takes one to get you started on the journey. Believe yes. me. I, I had no friends at one point when I, I, I did a lot of housekeeping, a lot of healing of old wounds as an adult that you can't as a kid, cause you're a kid, you know? And, right, um, right. and I, I found myself at one point with no friends. And then at over the years of that experience, I was like, Oh my God, they were never my friends anyway, because compared to who I am friends with, <laughs> these are amazing people that are that are healthy and I feel for, you know, I'm not putting down these other people, but just was like, Oh my gosh. Okay. It was worth it going through that time and, and, um, feeling like I'm completely alone in the world. Nobody loves me. Right. Everybody feels like that every so often. Yeah. 
Mm. Oh, this conversation could go on forever no, and ever. Yes. <laughs> we don't have to get it all in one show. That's great thing about doing these series a great thing about doing a podcast um i'm telling you there's so much information around why i'm saying this for you too and i'm saying it for our listeners there is so much information about there about why podcasts just get to people something about that auditory experience that is so profoundly private there's no visual stuff going on that just and you can listen to it when you want. It's not like old time radio where, you know, once that show's done, it's done. Or that's how it was with TV. You had to wait for a rerun. That's not how the world is anymore. You can binge whatever. Well, you can also, you can, those podcasts are there forever so that you can pause them, make notes, go back to them later, re-listen to them. And so it's, it's a wonderful healing medium to utilize. So I say to listeners, like, please, you know, utilize them, not just the ones on our network. There's lots of great ones out there. Um, but that's what we do this for, because this is such a great healing medium. And we're figuring out stuff while we do these shows about ourselves. Absolutely. Every mm -hmm. single time. Oh, um, Amy, please tell our listeners where they can find out more about you and what you do. Sure. Um, I have a Facebook page, Amy C. O'Neill, resilience expert, survivor, and speaker, and a website at um, www.amyconeal.com. And I'm currently involved in uh, projects helping to develop a mass violence resource center and strength to strength global, which um, connects victims of terrorism from around the world in a peer support way. So there's lots of resources and um, I can point anybody in the right direction and help anybody find whatever they need. And uh, yeah, that's connection. That's the goal, right? Exactly. And I want to make connection, sure less loneliness. Exactly. I want to make sure everyone knows it's two L's. So yes, I want you to find our website. So it's A-M-Y-C-O-N-E-I-L-L.com. So yes. please go there. Um, Christina, again, my God, how many more wonderful people are you going to like bring <laughs> here? It's We've fun. got a few so coming. Awesome. Yeah, she's amazing. <laughs> And it perfectly fits the name of this series. Be awesome. So thank you, Christina, Dr. Christina Hallett. I can't wait for the next one. Absolutely. You know, we have so much fun. Love doing it. <laughs> and Amy, it's been such a pleasure to meet you today. Oh, thank you so much. It was privileged to talk with you too. <laughs> and thank you, of course. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much to you listeners that keep coming back and listen to our stuff and, um, and joining us on this journey because boy, it's a journey uh, on mental health news radio network. Hi, this is Dr. Paul Meyer, founder of the national chain of Meyer clinics. I've often told you about how people just like you are getting the healing that they need from emotional issues like depression, anxiety, anger problems, and relational problems. We wanted to share with you Mickey's experience at our day program and how it has affected his life. The Meyer Clinics has been a real blessing to me. Dr. Meyer told me that people get well here and my life has been completely changed. I have been symptom free for three years and I'd recommend it to anybody that really wants to overcome an emotional problem of any kind. Mickey's story is like so many others that we receive. It's an encouragement to us, and we hope it will also be an encouragement to you to call us to get the emotional help that you've needed. 
please call toll-free 888-7-CLINIC to be connected to the Meyer Clinic program nearest you. That's 1-888-7-CLINIC or go to MeyerClinics.com. That's www.meierclinics.com. good intentions i heat up and act on my emotions thanks so much for listening to mental health news radio our podcast can be found on itunes stitcher and hundreds of other podcast apps or you can visit our website at mentalhealthnewsradio.com if you have a question or would like to be a guest become a podcaster on our network or join the amazing organizations that help keep us on the air please email us at info at mhnrnetwork.com Get ready for that special goodbye from our resident therapy dog, Miles, and a special thanks to Emily Sohn for letting us use her incredible song, Cordial, for our podcast music. Listen to the full song on SoundCloud at emily.sonne. Don't be surprised when I don't hate on you. After all we promised, we'd be cordial. Sometimes in you, I can fight it. Good boy.